Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. I'm Mike Riley, the podcast that helps you get to where you want to go. I talk to all kinds of people from all walks of life that have jumped over a lot of hurdles to even get to their start line and then to get to that coveted finish line. And hopefully those stories will help inspire you to get off the couch and find your finish line. My guest today, I'm very excited about this. He's a dear friend, a mentor, an advisor, an all-around good guy. As a matter of fact, he wrote the foreword to my book, and he always says that got better reviews than my book. <laughs> he's, usually, he's usually the one on the other side of the microphone asking the questions, but this is a switch. Uh, he, he talks to all kinds of people, the most famous people in endurance sports. He's interviewed his famous global Breakfast with Bob show. I'm sure you've all seen it. Bob Babbitt, welcome to Find Your Finish Line. Oh, Mikey, always such a pleasure to chat. I don't think we need microphones. You and I could just sit here and, and <laughs> chat for seven, eight hours and never come up for air and not even notice that people aren't are watching anymore. They don't even care. But we're, if we're everybody, we, everybody we knew care. we got on a yeah, we all got on we got on about ten minutes before and and uh, we just kept talking, talking. I go, Well, we better we better go live now. <laughs> Well, I asked all my guests right up front, Bob, but this is going to be an interesting one for you to answer because we both live in San Diego and it's raining cats and dogs. But I always ask right off, did you get a workout in today? I did. Actually, I've started on this uh, because my as I've gotten older, you start going, OK, I'm doing a lot of races. And in, in, in 2019, I think I raced 36 times. Wow. I just love racing. I love being out there. The coolest thing is. If you want to stay young, hang out with young people. Go out to races. And if we hang out with people our own age, what happens is all you talk about is medication and all you talk about is, is people who've had different types of awful things happen to them. Hang out with young people. You talk about racing. And we get out. We have our 60 to death group that goes to every race. And we're standing there in the rack, at the racks before the race start. And every week we'll say, you know, it's 430 in the morning. Why do we do this? Because we can that's why, because we love it. Because by eight in the morning, we're in a beer garden. There's nothing yeah. better in the world. We've gotten our work in. The rest of the world is sleeping, and we're in a beer garden toasting the fact that we've just got through another race, and we get to do it again the following week. So so what was your workout today? Oh, I went to a – there's a place called Stride, which is think about a spin class with treadmills. There's like 25 treadmills in there, and it's like a 55-minute workout, and you're doing two- and three-minute intervals – uh, throughout the whole workout, and I, I love it. I'm wearing you're wearing a heart monitor, and they're telling you you're going you know two percent, two percent incline. You're going forty five seconds, and then you're going three percent. And you, it's just a lot of fun. It, it flies. I like it when people tell me what to do. It makes the workout go really fast. Otherwise, I get bored. Yeah, I did the smart trainer in the garage this morning b before light, obviously. And, and that's one thing I don't think I'll ever be able to not get up early. But I was doing that and I go, God, I wish it was like two or three people next to me here because by yourself, it's it, yes. it's a push. It's tough. And a lot of people have pain caves out there and that's what they do. They've got to do their workouts through the wintertime by themselves. Well, Bob, let's, let's start by taking a look back. You know, you... Uh, 
You were turned on to endurance sports early, you know, when you were a teacher here in San Diego. Yeah. Tell us that story. What what was that fire that all of a sudden was lit when you saw what swim bike run was all about when you when you knew what running was all about? What was that light that switched on for you? You know, when we first moved out here from Chicago, I moved out here in, in 78 and was run, running a PE program at a place called the Children's School. And it, it, there was the scene here was it was 10 K's every weekend, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we'd go down and we would just run these 10 K's and you develop the social group and you'd you'd follow people around. and You'd go to races every weekend. And I started really loving it. And then the tri club or track club of San Diego, San Diego track club was putting on these little triathlons. They couldn't even spell the word. The first trophies was T-R-I-A-T-H-A-L-O-N. They used a bowling trophy, I think. And we're doing these little swim bike runs around Fiesta Island. It wasn't even a sport. It was just sort of a workout for the track club. And I really loved it. My roommate at the time was a guy named Ned Overend. And Ned went on to become world mountain bike champion. But mountain bikes didn't exist at that point. No. He, yeah, he was working at San Diego Suzuki. I was a school teacher. We'd go out to local 5Ks and 10Ks and every once in a while a marathon. And it was just the running scene in San Diego was crazy. You look at guys, you look at the times that people were running back in the late 70s and early 80s, the they, the fields were so deep. If you were running a, a 225 marathon, you were like 80th in these races. People yes. were so fast. Uh, but it, it was something about the community that I loved. And it led to uh, us reading an article in Sports Illustrated in 1979 about this silly event called the Ironman Triathlon. And Sports Illustrated was the Bible. It came out every Thursday, and all of a sudden, there's an article, eight-page article about this event over in Oahu, and the guy who won this 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, 26.2-mile run was a guy named Tom Warren, who Ned and I had met because we had done his swim-run swim event called Tugs, Tugs down in, uh, in, in, in Mission Beach, so when or Pacific Beach. So when, when we read about that, and we're thinking, well, Let's see if we can go do it. But you couldn't go online and find out how to sign up for something. We had to track him down. So we, I call him up and said, you know, Mr. Warren, sir, can Ned and I come down to find out about this iron thing? And he said, sure, Babbitt, come on, come on down to Crystal Pier. Just We're just, just south of Crystal Pier on the west side of the streets, my office. And we get down there. There's no office. There's a motorhome. <laughs> Right? <laughs> There's a bike on the back. There's a paddleboard on top. He's got running shoes tied around the side view mirror. And I sort of stick my head inside the motor and was like, Babbitt, walk in my office. And he proceeded to tell us about, you know, hey, you need to get a bicycle. That's not a bad thing to start. And we walked to a bar. This is the, and what he would do is he'd go for a run every morning. He'd run five miles down to this place called the Mission Beach Jetty and back. And then he'd paddle out in the ocean. And then he'd ride his bike up to Oceanside. That, that was basically his lifestyle. That's what he did. So he took us to the bar behind him called T.D. Hayes, which was open at 9 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting with him, and he's drinking beer at 9 in the morning. And he's got a magic marker with him. And it's like he's got this magic marker, and every time he takes a drink, he's making a mark on his arm. And 
he's our mentor, right? He's going to teach us about this Iron Man thing. So we didn't know eccentric. We just thought, okay, this we need to know this stuff. Mr. Warren, sir, what's the deal with the magic marker? He goes, well, I have a drinking problem. So I make a mark on my arm. When I get to my sleeve, I go home. <laughs> and we're like, okay. So we go to his house. He's got a trainer mounted in his sauna. He has a sauna yeah. in his house. And he's riding the thing for five hours a day to get ready for this iron thing. So we ended up going to a police auction, Ned and I, and we got I got a, a, a bike for 75 bucks. The whole back end of the bike had been on fire. So it was all charred <laughs> on the back end. And had a fuzzy raccoon seat cover and had foam grips and this uh, – Radio Shack radio that we had on the front to, so I could bungee cord it on and listen to tunes. But we had no idea. We went out riding. I remember uh, there was a guy in town, Dale Sutton, and he was doing triathlon stuff. And we went riding with him and we're going, gosh, you know what? We're probably going to average 10 miles an hour. We'll be out there 12. There's no way you do this in one day. We'd be riding in the dark. So went out and got pannier sleeping bag and tent. And I thought you swam 2.4, rode 56, camped out, rode back the next day and ran the marathon, which in hindsight is pretty hell of a good idea compared to what you do now. (laughs) (laughs) So that led to us going over in 1980. And, you know, I was race number three because I was the third guy to send my $25 in. The year before, there was only 15 starters and 12 finishers in 1980 because of the article in Sports Illustrated. There's 108 of us. You know, I think it was booming. And so I, you know, you, you had to have a support crew. You were on the island of Oahu. There was no aid stations. There was no roads blocked off. They had, you know, Dave Scott was in that race. That was, ended up being his first win. Dave McGilvery, longtime Boston race director was in that race. John Howard, cyclist of the seventies was in that race. And we had no idea what we were doing. So I get out there that morning and they, we had to swim four lengths in this Alamoana Channel because the surf was so big. They thought we were going to die. They moved it to Alamoana Channel the night before the race. And I'm swimming along and not the most uh, efficient open water swimmer. I'm swimming along those four lengths. I go down and on my way back, I almost hit this guy. His name was John Huckabee, the Incredible Huck, who was walking the entire swim. He was <laughs> knee deep. Walking, and he's the only guy in the history of Ironman to get blisters on his feet during the swim portion of the Ironman triathlon. <laughs> and get out of the water, and there's my crew. And I get, you know, I'm, I'm on my bike, I'm tuning in my radio, and I'm thinking this is the coolest thing ever. Get to mile 25, there's my crew on the side of the road. I'm thinking, oh my God, it's gonna be like the Tour de France. They're gonna give me a handoff. They did. Big Mac fries and a Coke, brown <laughs> bagging it at 25 miles, rip your snow cone at mile 90. It was uh, it was an adventure. And then coming in at the end of the bike, you come in and I hear this music and I'm like, what's going on? My crew had a bamboo mat laid out and they had a, a boom box and they're like, how about a massage? I'm like, you know what? I am really tight right now after 112 miles on that bike. Oh, and I had flat proof tires on there, solid rubber tires, because I didn't know how to change a flat. So my <laughs> neck is sore, my back is sore. I got a 45 minute massage between the bike and the run. And then it was off on the marathon. And now I'm playing with house money because I thought I was going to finish this thing in two days. I'm already off the bike ride and still light out. So I'm running along. And again, no roads are blocked off. And they had scales on the course. 
you had to get off your bike and then during the run, if you lost 5% of your body weight, they weighed you before the race. If you lost 5% of your body weight, they pulled you out of the race. And they so did that for, the They scale. did that for quite a few years, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah. So I get on, that's what makes John Howard's time in 1980 even more impressive. The fact that he got off his bike four times to do yeah. it. So my food of choice, because who knew about nutrition? I had Hawaiian <laughs> sweetbread and Gatorade. That was it. <laughs> so I'm eating Hawaiian sweetbread and basically waddling through Waikiki, eating my Hawaiian sweetbread. They weighed me at, when I started the run. I get to about mile five. And I can hear the guy in a walkie-talkie when he got in the scale. He's like, oh, can you give me that again? He's gained five pounds. You can't gain weight doing this silly thing. And then we get to uh, Diamond Head. And my crew, to this day, I remember, they're in a Fiat convertible following me up Diamond Head. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is so cool. There's going to be bands at the finish. There's going to be cheerleaders. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. Come down in the Capilani Park. And I see a light bulb above me and a chalk line. And I sort of slow down. And I hear this voice in the darkness. He's like, hey, you. I'm like, yeah. You in the race? Yeah. You're done. That was it. There was no Mike <laughs> Riley calling me in. There was no cheerleaders. There was no band. There was one idiot doing one-arm push-ups in the park and me. That was it. But I knew that that event had changed my life. There was something about that thing that just resonated. And I knew that I had to get more involved in, and hopefully help grow this sport because the feeling I had right then was a feeling I wanted other people to have as well. Well, you know, Bob, it's interesting because that story and the passion you had early on, but not everybody transforms that into the business side. You know, how can I, how can I produce income doing this sport? How can I be a part of it during the day when, uh, during the work day? And you did that, you know, with your writing, start working with running triathlon news and competitor. Did right. you ever think in a million years, your profession would be endurance sports? You know what, what I've learned over time, both with competitor and with triathlon and with CAF yeah. is a lot of times you go to school, you get your MBA, you have a business plan. Life isn't always about a business plan. Life is about following your gut. And when I came back after finishing that Ironman, I tracked down Mike Plant, who had a magazine called San, San Diego Track Club News and became Running News. And then uh, I became LA editor for Running and Triathlon News. You know, based on the 100 idiots that had done this triathlon, Mike <laughs> was kind enough to, to change the name to Running and Triathlon News. And he had covered the early triathlons in, in, uh, at Fiesta Island and saw the future of this sport. But not a lot of people did. And so, in you know, we were... Uh, Lois Schwartz, who was the art teacher at competitor at, uh, at children's school where I taught, she wanted to learn photography. So Lois and I would drive to LA every weekend and cover 5Ks and 10Ks and meet the people up there. And you know, ironically, one of the first people we met was this wheelchair racer by the name of Jim Knopp, who was an Olympic trials pole vaulter. And I went. I this is 1988. This is long before. We had Challenge Athletes Foundation. Right. 1988, I won Jimmy to be on the cover of Competitor Magazine. I felt there was something unique about the stories of those of the athletes who were overcoming, right? You and I both believe the power of sport to overcome obstacles. 
And I remember interviewing Jimmy at his house. And back then they were racing on wheelchairs that looked like shopping carts. Right. They were like four wheel things. They had them on the cover of the magazine. And I was like, you can't put a, a guy in a wheelchair on the cover of the magazine. Who's going to pick the thing up? Well, the pickup rate was great. People resonated. The story resonated. And when I first interviewed Jimmy, I went to his house and I'm sitting there and there's a nickel on the floor. And I'm thinking to myself, God, the poor guy, he dropped a nickel and he can't reach down and get it. So I go to pick up the nickel. It's glued to the floor. And there's Jim Knob sitting, drinking a beer. And he's looking at me and he's going, so Babbitt, you didn't think the poor cripple could pick up the nickel off the floor. Lesson number one, don't underestimate anybody. That's something that resonates with me every day in my life is don't underestimate anybody and their ability to accomplish whatever the hell they want to accomplish. And so Jimmy was the one who taught me about disability and talked to me about overcoming and talked to me about, hey, you know what? When I'm in the wheelchair, I'm the same as everybody else. I'm trying to get from point A to point B. I want to kick somebody's butt, right? And he won Boston Marathon five yeah. times. He won LA Marathon three times. He really brought, he, he made wheelchair racing exciting. He's wearing a Dalmatian skin suit. He's out there with David Bailey, former motocross world champion, doing pieces for MTV Sports. You know, they changed everything. And I love the fact that we, we could do that. And at the same time, when we, when we started Competitor Magazine, Running and Triathlon News had gone out of business. And I went with Lois to go meet with California Bicycling Magazine and Southwest Cycling and said, guys, if we did a magazine combining running a triathlon and cycling, it could be really popular. And I'll never forget, they both told me the same thing. We would never put a skinny runner on the cover of a magazine. Triathlon will be a, is a fad. It'll be gone in five years. This is 1987. And the only sport that really matters is cycling. So we came home and Larry White, Ron Marola, Joe Ellis, those guys gave us $17,000 and said, go start your own magazine. And that was in May of 87. And in June of 87, we launched Competitor Magazine. And we didn't pay, I didn't pay myself or Lois didn't pay ourselves for the first year and a half. I lived on friends' floors. Uh, we, you know, our first print bill was 20000 We were in the hole 3000 after the first <laughs> issue of the magazine. We were in a in a guy's garage under 200 under 20,000 pounds of bike racks paying $200 rent a month <laughs> out of out of our savings so we we had no idea where this was going to go but we knew we loved this sport and we knew if we loved it other people would love it as well and we hope did you think bob did you think i mean business is business and obviously money runs things and pays the right. bills was there a time when you're going, God, I hope my passion isn't overriding my thought process on whether or not this is going to be profitable, whether or not we're going to be able to, you know, get off our friends' floors? Yeah. Was it the passion that just kept pushing you through and finally the money started coming? Yeah. You know, it was really more along the lines of uh, we, we believed and we could see these races growing. Right. right. We could see them growing. We go numbers, to L.A. I remember going to L.A. You know, so funny because in San Diego, they if they had a 10K and a 5K, the 5K was a fun run. Yeah. The 10K was the real event. And the 5K was for granny and for, you know, for, for people kids. who were walking and that type of thing. Lois and I would go to L.A. and it was just the opposite. The 5K was where all the racers were and the 10K was for people jogging. And so I remember telling Tim Murphy, you know, it's like, Tim, LA is so different than San Diego. The 5K is really a cool distance and people are racing it. 
and you know, five the Carlsbad five thousand became you know, when Tim launched the five thousand, people here were like, "Who's racing a five thousand? Everybody's racing ten k, not five k." So just things kept happening. The United States Triathlon Series had started in eighty two, so that was a growing entity that was in California. And when we first started competitor, we were just in California, and we could see that our sports mountain biking was just getting going. Right. Ned was got a a sponsorship from Schwinn uh, as a mountain biker and then next thing you know he's the main guy at specialized and so we could see that was happening then Xterra came along at adventure racing and we were there at the cutting edge of every single one of those new innovations and then okay all these people are doing these things there was only one nutrition company at the time Gatorade well a company called Metrex came on yep. board and they came on board and sponsored a woman. They sponsored Paul Newby Frazier, which was unbelievable. But it was like, okay, now there's Power Bar. And funny Power Bar story, we're at the Tinsel 5K down in Balboa Park. And I'm standing there passing out competitor magazine. It's probably like, you know, hey, I might have been running in Triathlon News, maybe 86, 85. Next to me, passing out Power Bars, is Brian Maxwell. Brian Maxwell. And next oh. to him is Phil Tauber from Kashi who's spooning out Kashi cereal. And, and, and you remember those early power bars were during the winter, those things were like freaking bricks. So we're taking the power bars and putting them on the dashboard of the car, right? And turning the defroster on to warm them up enough so Brian could cut the power bars to hand out to, to the them. runners. And Phil's spooning the Kashi and I'm handing out the magazine. We're like, we love this. I wonder if we'll ever make a living doing this, you know, and Phil sells for 75 million. Brian sells for over 400 million, but we didn't know that at the time we were doing something that we cared about, loved, loved and felt we were making a difference. I think that was part of it was when you were, when we were writing articles about a Jim Knob or a David Bailey or, or uh, a Mark Allen or Dave Scott, we were storytelling which is what I've always loved to do. And, and it gave me a, a platform to do that. And that led to the radio show. And, you know, it's, that's all that type of stuff. You, you did things that you felt were right. I felt it was right that our sport, our athletes need to be treated like baseball players, football players, basketball players. So I think that sports- was, and that, that for me, and I know for you too, is always the frustrating part. We see yeah. these performances of our great triathletes and great yes. runners, and they'd get this much in the San Diego Union or yeah. the Boston, you know, it wasn't, we didn't have the Boston Marathon out here or anything like that. But don't you think when all of a sudden 1989 came along and you had Mark and Dave go out there and run, you know, low 240s, and that kind of woke up the other sports, I, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. They just ran a 240-something and they, uh, There's off our the bike. Heads. Yeah, I'll, they're still yeah. running. I know they're still running. I can't find mine. I wish I could find mine. I don't know. The only one I got, I figure, what the hell? I got my own now. So I don't oh, you care. got a bobblehead? Yeah, they gave it to me in uh, in Florida. Oh, I Look love at that. that. The hat turned backwards. I oh, like deal. it. Yeah, I want enough one. of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, didn't you think that was all of a sudden? kind of the turnaround year for us because what you could write about that bob went on for for ages about that race well and you know and what was great about that 
is one, when we started, actually in 1990, I started the radio show, yeah. and the whole idea was going to Mighty 690 here in San Diego and saying, what's, you know, what is your, you know, uh, you guys are really busy during the week. How's your weekends? How is Sunday night? Because I want people to listen to an interview with Wayne Gretzky, Magic Johnson, and then hear an interview with Dave Scott, Mark Allen, and think, oh, they must be important. They're on mm-hmm. sports radio with the mm-hmm. same guys I listen to, I, I follow all the time. And a lot of that was because of the, you think about ABC Wild World of Sports. So it was three networks back then. And in 82, 83, 84, 86, 87, and 89, Mark Allen and Dave Scott were must-see TV, right? We're talking seven times. So people were watching these same athletes. There's only three networks. When you're living back in Pittsburgh, you're watching anything where there's palm trees. You're looking at any show that has palm trees. You don't know what triathlon is. You can't spell it. You have no idea where Kona is, but you know that you're free. It's freezing outside. And those two guys are bad mofos because they're going side by side that entire day. And that the culmination of that, the fact yeah. that, you know, they that Mark had lost to Dave every time he raced him there, and he beat him everywhere else. And so it was like Mark ruled the world and Dave ruled Kona. And then in 80 leading into 89, you sort of knew that something special was going to happen. And I remember reaching out to both of them in March, go, guys, I want to do a cover, a showdown on the Kona Coast. Yeah. I want to do that cover shot uh, and run that on the October issue of Competitor Magazine. And they're like, great, no problem. And, and Dave's like, have Mark come here to Davis. We'll do the shoot. <laughs> and then Mark's like, have <laughs> Dave come here to Boulder. We'll do the shoot. And I'm like, uh, so Dave Epperson, the photographer, set up a backdrop, drove to Davis, shot Dave, drove to Boulder. And this was big time. At the, the We transposed the photo. We put those yeah. two guys together on the cover of the magazine, even though they weren't together. And, you know, Dave said that there was, people forget that Dave Scott was the ultimate smack talker. That guy was the best. And he, he still and he, is. Like, I said, like, oh, it still is. I said, Dave, so what do you think is going to happen this year? And remember in 88, Scott Molina ran a 302 marathon to win the race. And he goes, I'll tell you something that's not going to happen. Somebody runs a 302 marathon, they're going to be three miles down the road. <laughs> and two, there's someone's going to run low 240s, and there's only two of us who can do that. <laughs> it was like, okay. And Mark's reading that going, I think he's talking about me. And if he's going low 240s, and that, at that point, Dave's course record on the marathon, I think, was 249. If someone's going low 240s and Dave's going to go do that, I better be ready to do that as well. And if you look at what we're doing now, if Mark and Dave were racing today and swam 50 minutes like they do now, they'd be right there. The marathon, those guys with transition running 240, 241 was really 238, 239. So they would be, based on what Gustav just did running 236, those guys would be two minutes off of what they did of what they're doing now in 1989. Now, Mark's fastest bike ride was 428. So it's all about the bike in terms of how much faster people are going now than they were back then. Those guys, it's, and Dave was always that, that guy saying, why aren't they running faster? Based on running 108, 109 off the bike for a half, they should be running sub 230. And it hasn't happened yet, but it's getting closer. Yeah, it is definitely getting closer. I, I mean, the progression that we're seeing right now, 
Uh, and we talked a lot about a pa the past, and I do want to jump into the to the present and the future. But there is something I want to ask you because we mentioned, uh, you know, Competitor Magazine and then CAF, the Challenge Athletes Foundation. Bob, you think that is the most gratifying project of your career? No question. When just being at the office today and Rudy Garcia Tolson, who was born with Terrigium syndrome, was, was our, the first kid we worked with at the age of seven. Right, right. He's now 34 and works at CAF. I know. And, and he's changing lives. And that's just seeing what an amazing young man he has become and what a role model he is. It's yesterday we had the Kel Berkeley Tri Club at CAF. And I told a little history of CAF and led into Rudy and Rudy was there passing his leg around to all those guys. And uh, it's it, it's just seeing our athletes coming from a point of trauma. A lot of times when we first meet people, it's the lowest point of their life. And watching them rise from there and Lauren Parker, who you called across the line this year. Mm -hmm. Paralyzed in 2017. This year, won Ironman St. George and Ironman Kona and the World Championship and took a silver medal the year before at the Paralympics. It's seeing people come from the rock bottom and come back and then just doing it and being so proud of them, not just proud of themselves, proud of the accomplishment, but understanding they have an, op uh, an obligation to help that next person who was at that same low spot they were. That's that's what I'm I'm proudest of is is the the young people who've been with us and where they are now and how they understand that there is a bigger purpose. You've we've helped you. Your job is to help that next person, and that's you know. We now raised. It's been we're going into our 30th anniversary. 147 wow. million dollars raised. 40,000 grants set out to athletes in 73 countries, all 50 states. And more importantly, in 104 different sports, I didn't know there were 104 different sports, <laughs> wheelchair basketball, beat baseball, sled hockey, uh, paranordic skiing. It's it's unbelievable. It's endless. And just seeing our kids, kids back in the day would cover their prosthetic legs, right? They didn't want people to see them. Rudy talked about that when he was younger. He would see kids from school and he wouldn't want to get out of the car because we knew when he got out of the car, they'd make fun of him. You know, now uh, our kids are comfortable looking, having Superman logo on their leg, right? Scooby-Doo on their leg. Their leg makes them different in a positive way. The wheelchair is just a, a, a thing to get them from point A to point B so they can go and get in their uh, WCMX chair, which is wheelchair skateboarding, <laughs> or go hand cycling, or off-road off-road um, e-assist hand cycling is the new thing, Mike. When you're wheelchair-bound, there's the trails disappear because you're in a wheelchair and you're pushing a push rim. Your hands are in the dirt. It's non-functional. So now all of a sudden, you get an off-road e-assist hand cycle. You go out in the trails, out of Penasquitas Canyon, wherever you want, on your own with the e-assist. It gives you freedom and independence, which is really what sport provides. It's almost like their version of a gravel bike. Totally. It's, it is their version of a gravel bike. Yep. Yeah. It exists. And that's the coolest thing is we've seen it right in this day and age, Jim McLaren would be on a oh, you know, recumbent E hand yeah. cycle, right? Yeah. And, and back then, 
there, the technology wasn't there, but now it is. And the positive is the technology is way better than it's ever been. The, I won't, won't call it a negative, but the, it's expensive. So back in the day when we were buying $2,500 racing chairs or $5,000 hand cycles, an off-road e-assist hand cycle is $25,000. dollars. So mm-hmm. it's you know it's changing, and we've raised 147, but we want to keep raising a lot more. Bob, I, my hat's always been off to you for that because I, to be able to give back to the community and see what they do on their own when they're just giving that little spark of hope. Uh, it's everything. And, and, uh, congratulations to you always for doing that. Oh, thank you. You know, running, you've you've been a big part of that. One of my favorite things was when you and myself and Dick Enberg were emceeing at the San Diego triathlon challenge that year. I mean, you and I were sort of the same way. Dick Enberg could order lunch and I want to listen to the guy. I right. Know. <laughs> we were standing there. You know, it was like he'd be reading something and one of us is supposed to come on next. And we're like, I'm not come stepping in on that guy. That's that guy's a legend, man. I'm just gonna step back and let him read my part. <laughs> yeah, that was uh he, he was an idol. And so that you're right. I remember he'd step away from the podium and we'd look at each other, whose turn is that? I don't want to go up there. <laughs> Dick, why don't you just keep going? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we'll we'll go sit in the audience for a while because you know. You're Dick Enberg. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Curad, the official medical supplier of Iron Man. Let Curad keep you strong so those strains and pains of training and you trying to find your finish line go away. With their wraps, races, and tape, and especially their far-infrared kinesiology tape that'll keep you strong through all your training. Check out their products today on Amazon.com, at Walmart, and Ironman.com, and let Curad help you find your finish line. Yeah, the growth of the sport, Bob, you know, running's got a good, obviously, feeder system into, from high school track and field and cross country, and obviously a lot of 5Ks and 10Ks. Uh, Race companies like Ironman and others, they put on their kids' events and youth events. And then we've got the college women, you know, triathlon Mm -hmm. teams now, which is fantastic. But in triathlon, do you think that's enough of a feeder system to help grow our sport, to get younger people into our sport so they become pros like the Sam Longs of the world? Do you think we have enough at the bottom level there to, to grow our sport? I think, to be honest, I think it's it's great what they've done with the NCAA program. Mm. But if I'm looking at uh, return on investment, well, yesterday we had 65 members of the tri- Cal Berkeley Tri Club. It's their club program. They have mm-hmm. 150 members of that team who love our sport. Uh, the, when you go out to, the, I love going to the collegiate races this during the winter. Right. We have the Triton Man UCSD event. Mm-hmm. The following week is one up at UC Irvine, and you'll have all these clubs from USC, UCLA. To me, I would like to see more money going into that than into an NCAA program. Is fine. I think there's more return on investment because think about the Cal Berkeley folks. Those guys are going to be filling up our corrals if they stay in our sport. They are going to – I've always looked at our race directors as the endangered species. 
it is a very difficult thing to be a race director in the sport of triathlon. You got to find a body of water. You need lifeguards. You got to block off roads. People are going 35 miles an hour. Then you've, you know, you've, you, the body of water needs to be somewhere near where you can have right. a block off roads. It's very difficult. And I, I'm concerned we've had a lot of race directors go away. Uh, Steve Tomboni out of Indiana used to put on 27 triathlons. He puts on zero now. You know, he puts on trail runs during the winter uh, because it's, you know, it's, it's easier. And he gets, he says, Bob, I go to the start. I, I, I basically say go. And then I, I go to the finish line. I'm not worried about somebody in the swim, somebody on the bike ride. It's our sport is very difficult to put on. And I think our, our race directors need more support. I think they need more support from the governing body. I think the governing body should be doing more Rather than putting on their own events in Long Beach and in Milwaukee, they should be using local race directors to put those on, to put money in their coffers. Because those guys, if they go away, we don't have a sport. I know. We need the race directors. It's interesting because even at the very top, obviously, if people say, well, they want to do an Ironman race or they want to do Challenge Roth or they want to do a PTO event, whatever it may be, those people have to come from somewhere, yep. especially 10 or 15 years from now. Yes. That, that's what scares me. At 10 to 15 years from now, where are they going to come from? Well, and, and it's interesting, Mike, because you know I've been this proponent of pool triathlons forever, right. where you, you start with, if there's a pool in your community, there's a community, right? There's people there. <laughs> so yeah. these are 5K run, 10 or 12 mile bike ride, 150 yards swim in a pool. And when I realized how cool these events were, is I brought McKeeley Jones, Ironman world champion, uh, Olympic silver medalist, Paralympic gold medalist, guiding Katie Kelly in 2016, one of the most decorated triathletes in history. But like me, she loves to race. And she would come out to the Tinsel Triathlon with me every year. We're out there. There's a guy, obviously, when you're doing these races, you don't need a $5,000 bike. You can take a bike that hasn't seen the light of day since Reagan was president and bring that thing out, right? And you don't need, you need a pair of goggles. You need a pair of shoes. You could have bought a big five. That's it. Helmet. So we're out there to Tinsel Triathlon. And there's a guy who's come, obviously, first triathlon. Belly hanging out. He's got his board shorts. Bike with the high bars. Got a koozie on it. And McKeeley's helping him set up his transition area putting his towel down and she's he's like what a nice young girl he has no idea you know olympic <laughs> silver medals so, what a nice young girl so he finishes the race did his first triathlon right and the race director is making announcements he's going hey everybody thank you so much for being here by the way the iron man is going to be on tv today on nbc you should tune in and watch it and this guy in his board shorts with his belly hanging out with his bike with the koozie on it and the high bars, his wife says to him, honey, what's the Ironman? And he goes, without hesitation, same thing I just did a little longer, right? <laughs> so in his mind, if Jan Ferdano or Sebastian Keenley or anybody came up to him right then, they're the same. I'm part of the fraternity. We are all the same. And you think about when you have a race that costs 50, 60 bucks to do, that you don't need a lot of great equipment to do, to do, that you're not in open water where you can drown, where someone can play bongos on your head, where, you know, you can get lost and glare and seaweed and kelp and big fish. All the negatives are in the swim. So you eliminate all that and you swim, you jump into a body of water. 
that's a pool with lifeguards and lane lines and you come out of the water and you're feeling great about yourself because you're the same as Jan Ferdano. You just did a triathlon. Well, to me, those are the things we should be investing in to get brand new people out to try our sport because once they do it, they love it. And our sport changes lives for the better every single day. You and I both know the orthopedic reality is if you're a runner and you got to 50, your best days are behind you. You're not running faster at 55 than you were at 50. So if you incorporate swimming and cycling into your lifestyle, along with weight room one, you'll be weightlifting, you'll be fitter, you'll be faster, you'll run less, you'll run forever. And this sport of triathlon, you'll be able to get faster. I can get a better wetsuit. I can buy faster wheels. I can get plated shoes. And I can run less and run forever and, and, and race better using what I developed. My, I use my engine for swimming and cycling. That will help my running. So it's, it, it is, our sport is the fountain of youth. And it's a sport that people can do forever and ever and ever. And we don't do enough to make that known to the general population. You know, because you're right. Because when somebody does become a convert, no matter if they're 20 years old, 30 years old, or 50, I had, I think it was Ironman Arizona, a woman come up to me, Mike, I'm doing my first Ironman. I said, how old are you? She goes, I'm 64. I did my first triathlon two years ago. Yeah. And, and everybody talks about injuries, but I'm just having a fun old time. She had no big base of anything. Nope. She, she learned by going to a, a tri-club, uh, the social part of it, and you talked about it earlier, the social aspect of our sport, I think, is one of the strongest friendships that you can no have question. in your life. Uh, because you've got that camaraderie and, and people actually have gone into tri clubs who mentally they were having a tough time. They wanted to go change their lives. And it, it does. It happens every day, Bob. It's amazing. I, I call our sport an equal opportunity abuser because it doesn't <laughs> care if you're missing a leg, missing an arm, if you're overweight, if you're dealing with depression or Parkinson's or whatever the hell, it doesn't matter. It's get from point A to point B, and you're a triathlete. In your case, you are an Ironman, right? I know, trademark Mike Riley, 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was 1991. So, so I, I wish. Somebody asked, somebody asked me the other day, he says, what do you think about Mike retiring? I'm like, hey, if someone would pay me a lot of money to say four words, I think I could do that job. Oh, you were an Iron Man. Yeah. Give me 10000 bucks. You were an Iron Man. What the hell? He, I said, he's retiring from the easiest job on the planet. You are an Iron Man. It's four words. That's all you do. Well, I don't know. I remember the guy, challenge? I remember you and Kona coming up to me a, a few times, and it was like 11.45, and he goes, you, you, you'd look at me and go, how the hell are you doing this? Oh. I'm dying over here. And I went to dinner, you know. So. <laughs> I, I got, I went, I watched the early part. I went and got 18 holes in, yeah. came back, watched the finish a little bit. I'm like, okay, it's this midnight thing is ridiculous. And then when they started starting people in waves and now you're out there till one in the oh, morning. God. Like, oh, no. They, the la- last person to go in the last few years, I go, what are we doing? Uh, 12.55. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Which means, yeah, it's 12.55 means people are still staggering in at 1.55. You're like, yeah. oh, my God, what am I going to do here? Yeah, uh, no. What for you the love do of it. For the love. is amazing. 
You know, I Bob, mean, I, I've had questions, people, uh, about the retirement. And I never mentioned the word retirement. I don't like it. But yeah. one I got about three weeks ago. So, Mike, you're retiring. Does this mean Bob Babbitt's retiring with you? <laughs> I've had, you know how many people have asked me if I'm retiring? So, hey, so I hear you retiring me. Retiring. <laughs> this is retirement. I sold my magazine. I sold it twice. I sold competitor. I sold competitor group. I, I, I'm never retiring. Come on. That was, uh, I retired from business. I didn't retire from the fun we, stuff we love to do. Yeah, but I can I, do that four word thing. Yeah, Give me 20 bucks. I'll come call you an Ironman. It's not a big hey, deal. You're the guy that takes $10 from people when they want their picture taken with Mike Riley when they mistake you for me. So, I know, you know. Which happens all the time. How many airports? But you know what? I actually I raised the price to twenty because it, it was yeah good. They didn't uh, care. They split didn't care. it with split it with me. <laughs> Let's talk about the 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 businesses of of, of the event companies. So yes. we've got obviously Ironman. You've got Challenge. You've got Clash. You got Collins Speaking Cup and and the PTO and it's I have always said and you know I've been in sales my whole life too right. and and competition can only make one stronger and one better. Absolutely. Do you think the competitive nature of all the companies right now are good for the sport or not? I think it's it's a great area to be a pro triathlete uh, because what PTO is doing with the um, uh, pregnancy benefits, mm -hmm. uh, it's, I, I think that's it's beautiful. Yeah. game changing. Game changing. Uh, and Chelsea Sodaro said it, so, said it so well. Yep. Also, I, I think... Over the years, we used to have, you had, you know, the United States Triathlon Series, and then we had the Toyota Cup and Lifetime Fitness. And you had all these Olympic distance non-draft for your Olympic distance, Olympic format pros to go to Olympic distance non-draft. And eventually, if they wanted to, to go 70.3 and go full Ironman. Well, when that stuff all went away, when the whole Lifetime Series in terms of dollars went away, people were forced to step up to 70.3 and that's like saying you know you're running a 100 yard dash and now you got to go do an Ironman to make a living and it's like that's that's a tough transition mm -hmm. so right now if you're a pro and you are doing uh WTCS races world triathlon championship series races and you're going for the olympics you can also jump in and do super league and because of the speed you have and we've seen it yeah. with taylor nib and katie zafaris and people making that transition flora duffy they come in at 70.3 or the PTO races, which are a little shorter, and they can do really well at those. And it's it's always great, as much as I love the Ironman, Ironman distance, I'd like to see pros do less of them. I'd like to see them come to Kona or come to Nice, wherever the worlds are going to be, with only one other Ironman under their belts, because then people aren't burnt out. I want to see people have longer careers. And right now, when I was interviewing Sam Long recently, we were talking about this year, he goes, you know, I might not be doing a 70.3 uh, this this year because when when PTO comes out with their races, if they have the Canadian Open, U.S. Open, Asian Open, and European Open, if they have four Opens plus the Collins Cup, and each one of those Opens is a million-dollar prize purse, people can make a living just on that and not have to do other races. Or they can mix and match. I think it's a great opportunity. From an age group perspective, I'm concerned just here in San Diego. Think about we lost Wildflower. We lost uh, Imperial Beach. We lost Carlsbad. We lost Desert Tri. <laughs> we lost Super Frog, Super Seal. 
that's a lot of races that are gone. Uh, LA try isn't happening this year. So you, you see races going away, and those are the shorter distance races. Those are our feeder, our welcome mat events. It makes it tougher for people to become a triathlete and find a place to, 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 to race at. Now, the positive of that is less events. Hopefully, those events will fill up, right, because there's less opportunities out there. But if San Diego is a hotbed of triathlon, and between Camp Pendleton, we got Camp Pendleton, we've got San Diego International, we've got Spring Sprint, Solana Beach, and uh, Mission Bay. Maybe there's seven triathlons yeah. in San Diego, the hotbed of the sport. That's not healthy. Yeah, and there's guys like uh, Mark Walter out of the East Coast, which you know. Mark does a fantastic job with about eight or nine triathlons there. And I always take my hat off to him because he uh, he's figuring out a way to keep it keep it strong. And he's actually in an area which isn't as big as San Diego, yet he's putting on just as many events. You're right. I think it's the... The, the area, but the race directors stand up. It, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see athletes coming into the sport and the second triathlon they do is a 70.3. I don't think that's good for them. No, the deal is it used to, and this is one of the things that's concerning. It used to be you come in, you do a sprint, you do Olympics, you, right. you take a few years to move up to potentially 70.3 or you stay it short. You move up to 70.3, do full. Now what happens is somebody, it becomes a bucket list. I want to get an MDOT tattoo. I want to be an Ironman. So they get a coach. And what coach is going to say, I'm not going to train you? He's going to say, I want to do an Ironman within a year. And they're going to give him a training program and get him to a, an Ironman or 70.3 within a year. And then they're gone. It isn't a lifestyle. It's a bucket list item. And that, to me, is problematic in terms of somebody staying long-term in our sport. You know from race place days that every time a race is over, you've got maybe 15, 20% who are coming back next year. Oh, yeah. You've got to get all these new people to fill up your corral. Well, where are they coming from? You know, they're, 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 if there's not races out there, if the people aren't finding out about it, if we don't have the runners moving from running to triathlon, then triathlon can be hurting. And I, I think some of the things, rather than focusing on the pool triathlons, oh, that's the other part of that is with those pool triathlons, the shorter races, a lot of our issues that we talk about, diversity, cost, those go away. They're immediately 50% men, 50% women. They're immediately more people of color. And they're because people aren't afraid of doing these events because you're you're in a pool rather than open water. It brings a whole new group of people in the sport who want to be triathletes. It is sexy to be a triathlete. It is a sport that has a lot of panache to it. But people feel, oh, my God, I can't do you know, 70.3 or full Ironman. I'm out. I'm not getting in. And, it, and I'm having to take out a loan to pay the entry fee. I'm paying installments to do a race. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's a little different than we've ever seen before. And the other, the other part of it is, too, you've got a lot of lapsed triathletes. I mean, they're in their 30s and... They, they get married, they get a partner, they have children, 30, you can't, it's very difficult to go out and train for those bigger events when you're trying to raise a family and produce income. So uh, feeder events also take care of those mid-level triathletes that have maybe done an Ironman, but can't do one again for another 10 years because they've got life commitments, they got life. Uh, they got but they don't want to stop yeah. doing triathlon. They don't want to, yeah. because, you know, because there's not enough events with that. 
Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the Iron Man split between Kona and Nice. Uh, so many different opinions out there, yeah. and people have been pounding me, and I don't, I, I mean, me as well. I, I don't work at the company. I, 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 I'm not, you know, going to be doing that anymore. But I, I, like everything, we've seen so many things happen in our sport, Bob, that have raised a lot of concern but the factions have always come together at the end. I I think in a few years it's gonna this this will be all over. I mean, whatever direction it goes, Kona I think is sacred and it always will be in my book. Mm -hmm. It cannot not be sacred in my book. Moving the race, I just don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I, I, it just it hasn't digested yet. What about for you? Well, what's interesting to me is in 2019, nobody was saying after that race, man, if in 2020, we have to have two separate days or the sport won't be successful. It was COVID that closed everything. Yeah. So the reality is, is if you have 2,500 people who are doing, uh, who are doing the race in 2019 and it's men and women, and you know, the, we want the male pros out there cheering the women pros on. You know, we, we want, you know, we want everybody on race day to be cheering each other on and sharing mm -hmm. the course together. That's what's made Ironman so special. I mean, two days, I get it. Um, but I think there's ways to do it without making it two days. There's really no reason you can't have the, the women start a little, if we're worried about the men and women in terms of the drafting, in terms of the men, age groupers catching the women. So you separate them a little further. I, I don't think that's hard to do. I would personally because Iron Man, and I think Cam Wirth was the one who emailed me this, he's like, listen, everybody wants to do Kona. That's the, that's the race we all grew up with. And, and Daniela Reef said it as well. She goes, it's not the Iron Man World Championship all everybody wants to do. Iron Man, everybody wants to do Iron Man Hawaii. That's what we grew up on. That's what we want to do. So when you, when you look at it from the perspective of, okay, we had COVID for a couple of years. Let's go back to 2022, 2022. Uh, three to mm -hmm. do men and women together on one day. If it's too impactful on the island to have five thousand people there, I get that. It is it be doing a Thursday. There's school. There's work. There's other things going on. Have the the race on Saturday, and if they need to bump up the entry fee because it's you know you're you're not going to another market and doing three thousand people in one market and three thousand another. Well, charge more. Charge more for the experience of racing in Kona and having men and women together. I think from a media perspective, going to two separate markets makes it hard. I think from a sponsorship perspective, from a family perspective, what if mom and dad both qualify and you mm -hmm. know this is a family thing? Now you're you're going, you have to make a choice. Is dad going to race world championship this year or mom? I, I under it's from a financial perspective, I totally get it. If, you know, if Ironman watched what happened with with the um, uh, WCT, WTCS, CTS, TCS. whatever it's called, mm -hmm. the the championships they did in Abu Dhabi or Dubai, they're getting a lot of money to go to other markets to to bring the championships there, and we saw that with World Cup. So there's there's a lot of opportunity from a financial perspective for these uh, for the Ironman. They, they've got a property, the World Championship. That resonates. They can take it anywhere they want and people will pay for it. But I feel bad for someone like Ian Ferdano, who wanted mm. to finish his career 
by doing Kona. So he now he has to wait another year and come back when he's what 42, 43. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you can't do it around one person, but I just I I would like to see everybody still in Kona. Uh, to me, obviously, I wrote the 25th, 30th, and 40th anniversary books on it. Uh, it's, a, it's a part of my heart and soul, as it is yours. And going to calling something an Ironman World Championship, St. George was a wonderful event. I think it still didn't have the feel that Kona had. It's, it's, just, it's just different. It's hard to do to replace history overnight. Yeah, St. George had a, it had a great feel for St. George. It, it, yes. it was it was more than any other North American race, if you know yep. what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but still, that notch below Kona, just just because it's not Kona, that's all. No knock on St. George. I absolutely adore the place. Uh, it, but I it love it. Just it's the it's best. Just, but yeah, you know, again, it was also in May, so you know, usually yeah. you're sort of finishing yeah. your season. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Daniela and Christian, did they get the buzz? that they got it with Chelsea and Gustav in October. Mm. It's mm. it's different, right? Yeah. They, they certainly got buzz. I just don't think it's as much. So, so does Bob I think Babbitt, it's going to be interesting. Does Bob Abbott have another book in the making? <laughs> you, you mentioned you know, I, the I, 20th, I, 30th, 40th. <laughs> I don't know, 40, 45th, 50th anniversary of Iron Man. But it would be interesting if I'm doing a 50th anniversary book. Then what do you do with the you know the last six seven the next five or six of them where you're splitting them up? I have to I have to figure that out. Uh, it's been you know we've got so much going on this year with the show. We ended up doing three hundred interviews over. I just can't uh, believe you, know. you do three hundred interviews. I'm I'm just proud to have been like four of them for goodness sakes. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, you know what? I, I I get energized every time we talk to an athlete because you relate to this as well. The people watching at home are age group athletes, and they think that our pros, Jan Frodeno, was identified at the age of eight like LeBron James and went to some professional triathlon camp and was nurtured and fed and trained and went through all that stuff. When they find out that the guy was a, you know, surfing as a kid and his <laughs> yeah. mom was worried he was going to drown in the surf in South Africa, so put him into swim lessons and then ended up becoming the greatest triathlete in the world. It doesn't happen. Or Chelsea Sedaro, who was running and realized all these stress fractures, oh, I'm doing all the cycling and swimming. Maybe I should jump in the triathlon. And six years later, she's the world champion. People can relate to those stories because the sport changed our top pros lives because they were age groupers. Lucy Charles was yeah. an age grouper before yeah. she became Lucy Charles. Even back in the day, Lori Bowden raced with her mom, and all of a sudden, exactly. we're in Australia, and and I'm clocking her, and and I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to run sub three. And when she did, yeah. I just thought it was an a miracle. <laughs> but yeah, right. she was, it, yeah. just, it just happens over and over in our sport, and the age group stories, Bob. That that's what has always thrilled me because obviously, I've been with every one of them for so many years yeah. at the finish lines, and. Their stories of overcoming unsurmountable odds and having to go out and raise a family and work 40, 50 hours a week and get the training in. And that's why I think they love it when they see you at a race racing all the time because they know how busy you are, for goodness sakes. And there you are racing every weekend. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And they all love kicking my ass, which is always yeah, great. Yeah, well, that's always great, yeah. <laughs> hey, and they, they do. Every you one got of any, them. You got any regrets through the years? 
Any regrets? You got any um, regrets? You know, maybe yeah, something I, you I, wish I regret you... the fact that this aging thing has happened so fast. Oh, what shit, the hell? Yeah. I want to go back. I want to be 28 again. I want to be 28 again and do all this stuff over again. Right. You know what? Nah, I don't think you can live with regrets. It's, uh, I feel like you, you do things. It's, it's funny. Heidi, my wife, Heidi put a calendar together for me and it, it, it was one of one of the greatest gifts I ever got because every month, like the first month is Jim Knopp and just photos of, of us and what he meant to me. Mm. And then Rudy and then Jim McLaren and then Emmanuel. And it's like, you know, it make, it sort of puts in one place the, the lives you, you maybe you impact a little bit along the way. And at the end of the day, that to me is what it's all about. It's about how you impact other people. If you've, if you've impacted somebody and put a smile on their face or help them achieve something that maybe they couldn't on their own, uh, there's nothing, nothing better. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, I agree because when you're able to enhance someone else's life, whether you know them or not, I think that's the greatest gift you can give. It really is. Well, I, just think about all those people came across that Ironman finish line and so many of them went there and we, you know, we saw that for sure in New Zealand when they sold what three, 400 spots that were unsold because it was going to be your last time there. And people went there for you. And that, you know, now we, now people know that, but we've known it for years. People looked at your schedule and decided where they're going to race because they were going to get a call called across the line by the legend of the sport. And that, validated why they were up at four in the morning doing their training, why they were pushing themselves, why they were ditching out on family activities because they <laughs> yeah. needed to get their swim in all of that. And, and it makes you realize that Mike, that, that, that you were there for a purpose. You were there to elevate this sport to a level it wouldn't have reached without you. Thank you, Rob. Uh, thank you very much for that. Try table racing. That's the final question on find your finish line. And it comes out of, you know, my good friends, the McMillans that raced the Baja 1000. And afterwards, after they always race, they sit around the table and they call it table racing. They reminisce about the event, what happened over the day and all that good stuff. I call it tri-table racing. So reminisce with us about something that happened at event, good or bad. It could have been 20 years ago or yesterday. So tri-table racing. We're sitting at the table. Talk to us. Okay, probably the one, one of the coolest thing <laughs> in terms of in terms you of got being me laugh. <laughs> Okay, so at the Santa Barbara Triathlon, we're doing it as a as a relay and a little ba- little backstory. So Tinley and I, Scott Tinley, two time Ironman World Champion. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're we're in the same town and sort of giving each other crap whenever we can. And we were I was riding my I was driving down Mission Boulevard down in San Diego and Tinley is on his bike, pulls in front of me and pulls his bike shorts down and is like, you know, mooning while he's standing in the pedals. What he doesn't see is a cop pulling up next to me. Right. And next thing you see is, Hey, happy pants. Want a ticket <laughs> from the cop. Right. <laughs> Tinley almost falls off his bike. Driving. So flash ahead, we're doing the Santa Barbara triathlon and they let the relay teams go off uh, at the same time as the, as, as, as the pros. The relay so I'm swimmers? on a relay team. Yeah. I had Jody Durst, 
who was the cyclist, and this guy, Dave, who was our designated thick guy who could handle the swim and was, you know, off, way off the front. Jody was way off the front. So I'm leading. I'm doing the run. I'm leading the 10-mile run. People think I'm winning the race. And I'm running along, and who comes up behind me while I'm in my glory? People are, are doing the wave, and hey, you guy's winning the race. He's winning the race. Tinley comes up behind me and pants me, like right in the middle of the day. Mile run. And he's like, hey, happy pants. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> oh my God. I'm glad was, it was a, a Tinley story. I got a call from him right after the announcement and everything. Well, a few weeks after the announcement. He goes, Riley, yeah, you retired? I go, yeah, I guess so. You know, I'm not going to be on the microphone. He goes, it's about time. I'll see you later. I got to go. And that, that was the conversation. It's when I would time. interview him, he was the absolute worst. Because, you know, when you're interviewing people, they're pretty engaged, back and forth. You, Tinley is the ultimate in, uh, in trying to in multitasking. So I know he's packing while I'm interviewing him. So the answers are like, so how'd that race go? It was good. And he's just like, just packing. I can hear him packing crap. And I'm like, dude, we're on the air. This is an interview. You're supposed to be engaged. Nah, nah, he's packing to go on his trip or whatever the heck he's doing. Yeah, I missed that with you and Huddle on Sunday nights. And you had me on once. And I think I think we got four words in because we were laughing the entire time. <laughs> well, Bob Abbott, thank you very much. I mean, you are... You're the godfather of the sport. You're our patron saint. You're the one that keeps this thing all gelled together. Uh, you know, you've always been in everybody's camp, which I think is probably the best philosophy in the world because it helps our sport grow. So thank you very much for your time today, Bob, and I can't wait to be together with you again somewhere. <laughs> Love you, brother. Anytime, anywhere, man. You know, we'll always we're always linked. Zebra touches forever. I know, forever and ever. And thank you to all of you for tuning in again to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. Always remember, you're the cause of your own experiences. You keep those positive, and I guarantee you, you'll find your finish line. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Aloha.